innocence. He sided with the insurrectionists. He celebrated their cause. He validated their attempt. He told them, remember the stone I was talking to you about how the second impeachment trial truly differed from the first, yet in and of itself it was similar in certain ways. There were, though, certain things that couldn't re-enter into evidence because it would be a duplication of what had already occurred. And specifically, though, before I ended the previous segment, I mentioned that I would be talking about something that was truly left out in the majority of the conversation and how I felt it was essential that it should have been included, though there are many reasons why it would not have been included, and that is actually a quite complex subject. Interestingly enough, it should be much more simpler than it would seem, but it actually is quite complex. What do I mean by that? I know that was all quite circular. But 
Even if we look at some mathematical theories, such as, for example, Occam's razor, which talks about the simplest explanation, is often the correct explanation. That isn't always the situation. Sometimes people oversimplify something because they don't fully understand it. And they go around in circles so many times that they finally get to a condensed version of something, but they've actually left out the crux and the depth of everything that they were truly trying to say. And so for someone who may not be fully engulfed in what the subject matter is that a person is speaking of, they might just disregard the entire conversation subject matter because they feel, oh, it's just too simple and they should have just made a, a quick decision. When in actuality, if it truly is a complex situation or subject, sometimes it does require a complex, detailed explanation. And while to some people who don't follow certain subjects, it might seem long and drawn out, it is often going to seem that way because it is. Because people have a specific subject matter expertise because that is what they're great at. And that is why there are people who tune in for that specific subject or item or situation or circumstance because that is what they want to know more about and that's what they really gather around. But there are people who may not be a subject matter expert in something and they will just not tune in. It would just not seem interesting. It would just not seem important. So let me go back to my first point, which was why there was something that was left out, which I feel was quite important. What was that? It's the conversation around mental health and mental health awareness and wellness. And though this has been broached throughout the decades in various ways through various policies, as a country, we have not matured to the level of being able to have policies which truly help people in a way that people can receive adequate support networks through the longevity of livelihood. What do I mean? There are programs that may be very short-lived through the ability of a person to have coverage through their insurance. And so if a person has a condition, they might be able to get certain services, but only to the extent that their coverage allows. And so once that is over, they're no longer able to receive services. So in something such as a surgery, which requires pre-op and post-op, and a recovery, which is short-term, that makes sense. But in our healthcare system, we have not looked at the depth to which mental health wellness has not been cared for properly. Because mental health and wellness are actually a lifetime of understanding, which can truly encompass such things as pain management as well. But specifically, let me go back to what do I mean by mental health and mental wellness? Well, there is a global mental wellness day, mental health is so important and such a big part of conversation in all parts of the world, but to many it, it means something different depending on how much people are willing to divulge. Therein becomes a quite complex situation. 
Some people don't want to talk about what's going on because they feel if they talk about what's going on, it could further complicate a circumstance, making them feel vulnerable around people whom they should not otherwise be vulnerable, such as if the person is a decision maker or head of household or leader of a corporation. And so this is why we have developed privacy laws not the only reason, but this is one of the most important because if a person's privacy is well enough protected, no one would ever know the difference between what one person is getting by way of assistance and versus another. And if a person truly is trying to get assistance, then they would be on a path of wellness and no one would know all the better. Now, the difference is that in some circumstances, people do not want to go on programs that would, in the eyes of some people, help them get better. And it becomes complex because not all family members can assist in the long-term care that is required, and not all programs allow coverage for individuals. And so what makes me want to talk about this circumstance, a person is likely wondering, and why, if I've talked about politics, I've talked about coffee, I've talked about gardens, I've talked about so many different subjects, why all of a sudden do I think I'm some kind of expert in this? Well, I'm not purporting that I'm an expert. However, I can give you a couple of examples which speak to the very subject that I'm discussing, and that is exactly why I have brought this up. The first example that I would give is, of course, my inability to speak in depth about some of my extensive experiences are bound by the requirements that I have fallen under under certain laws in not being able to speak about them because I do not have the ability to speak about them. However, when I had said responsibilities, I was able to properly care for and assist people in what they needed. And so therein lies a true difference because you see, what that does is a person who is wholly knowledgeable about something, and I don't mean wholly H-O-L-Y, I mean W-H-O-L-L-Y, um, meaning all-encompassing, about one particular area doesn't mean they know everything, but it does mean they have a skill. And so what happens when suddenly there is a shift in focus, that skill is locked in a requirement that they aren't actually able to do anything about, and they are left on the sidelines. Now, I'm not the only one, but I can be more specific in just a little. And let me say, if I bring it a little closer to home, I can tell you this. In a particular instance, my sister felt, one of my sisters, I have many, and I mean sisters like the, the kind that you are born with. I know we have sisters that we develop as ones that we are the family we decide are, are close to us, close friends. But then there are family members that we are born with. And so this particular sister decided in one particular moment that I would be very trustworthy. 
And so in those moments, I was able to help with a lot of things that were necessary. Suddenly a shift in perspective created this mindset in her mind that I was no longer trustworthy in her mind. And so the inability for someone as a sibling to not be able to have any say in helping a person who you have seen in a much different light for years on end and decades on end, suddenly they say that they have decision-making power and they don't, and so I'll be specific, say like if someone doesn't want to take their medication. The choice of a person to not take medication has been completely given to people and there is a difference between people who have the ability to make that decision and people who do not. Now, once people have that right taken away of their ability to make a decision, there are completely different sets of circumstances which put other people in a responsible place for that individual. So not a lot of people have the ability to make decisions for other people because it's a tremendous responsibility. And I'm not saying that I ever was in that responsibility for my sister. However, I was for my mother. And somehow something turned in my sister's head thinking that somehow I wanted to become for her what I was for my sister, which I had never intended. And so what ends up happening is, and that's what I meant, I had a certain skill set where I was helping someone. Now, that wasn't my life's goal, but it was something that I took on as a responsibility. And I took it on wholeheartedly. And for the time that I was caring for my mother, I did learn more about her condition. I learned more about how to care for her. I made sure everything was taken care of when it needed to be taken care of. And then when things changed and we all got together as a family and the decision was made to be able to have her be with a different sibling who could care for her for the remainder of her years. That was a really tough decision because letting go of that responsibility was letting go of a lot. Now, it also changed the dynamic of a lot of things because you see, it didn't mean that I knew any less. It didn't mean that I cared any less. And it didn't mean that I wanted to be around my mother any less than I would eventually end up being. And so the reason that I share that with you is because what it did do is it actually created a world when I was caring for my mother, which was just my mother and I. And it was a different circumstance uh, because she slowly was deteriorating in the condition that she had. And that's why I talk about short-term versus long-term care of people for their mental wellness and mental health. And what did she have, you're wondering? Well, she had, when I began caring for her, a moderate form of dementia, which was classified under Alzheimer's, but there are so many different types of dementia that one cannot just say it's all one. 
And so I began to listen to podcasts. I began to go on webinars. I began to go to trainings. And I began to do different things to make sure that the house was secure for my mother, that she understood where was her safe place. And it was a lot of change for her as well. But I think that the reason that I share this is a lot of people don't understand the changes that people go through because much of it happens internally behind the walls of a person's home or behind the walls of a location where the person resides. It is the folks on the outside that tend to see only what they see. And I'll tell you this example. On one occasion, my mother ended up going on a walk and I didn't realize that she had left the house. I was in another part of the house and she left. And so I quickly scuttered about and went and I found her and I made my way back over to try to, to get her to walk back home with me. And it startled me and it scared me because this had not been the first time that she had wandered. But this had been the second time that I had had a scare of her wandering. And this actually... Fortunately, she was just around the corner and I was able to go find exactly where she was. And so when I was walking back with her, some of the neighbors thought that I was the one who was giving her a difficult time for trying to get her to walk back with me. But what they didn't understand is it was for her safety because she didn't understand a lot of things anymore about her proximity and in terms of safety crossing the street and and also she didn't have her cane with her and so there were a lot of things that were safety that were really important that were on my mind that were not on hers and that speaks to why a person becomes responsible and it isn't always easy and we made our way back home and then it was like nothing ever happened after that because once we were inside the house she had gone on to something else and then was working on on something else that made her happy but at that particular moment she just felt like leaving the house and it was important to have been attuned to where she was and being there for her was really important and so why I say this is, these are the kind of moments that a lot of people don't see. But what they do see is the outside, which is the my mom and I walking back and how trying to get her to turn around was quite challenging because she wanted to keep on walking. And it just wasn't safe for her or for anyone because she didn't have her cane and she wasn't um, very stable in her walk. So essential to have had somebody there that could have done that. But the point that I'm making is a bigger one, is not to glorify that one example. It's to say that there are so many people in circumstances where individuals help them on a daily basis, be they family members or be they caregiving professionals, that with, in particular, the way COVID has restructured our lives as a country and as a world, it cannot go unnoticed that 
every circumstance is different, that is true. However, what has been left behind, and this is why I felt it was a critical piece of the conversation that wasn't entered into evidence, it cannot be left behind that were there circumstances of people who would have had similar behavior had they not been president, they would have been treated differently under certain rules that guide people with mental health conditions. And this is why it is important to look at why was there special treatment of an individual who conducted himself in the behavior of someone who had extensive overly compulsive disorder behaviors? And no one was willing to say it. Yes, I know he's been examined by professionals and doctors, but really, were they afraid to say it? And it seems pretty obvious in many ways that the amount of tweets that went out, not only on a daily basis, but throughout the entire four years that were there, that is not commensurate with any other administration, even for the administrations, and you could look at presidencies and governorships, that have existed. And you could actually go down through municipalities if you do want to also. But that have existed during the development and growth of Twitter and tweeting. And the fact that, yes, we have become more of a social media dependent society and world intermingled with our thoughts and our conversations into text and soft versions of who we are and that we can find it more easily to write in a short and condensed amount of characters and then later expand on our broader conversations should we desire to do that. However, if there were people who would carry on with such behavior, they would have been, as is being seen now, they would have been more than asked to stop. They would have been required to follow the rules of social media itself. So for example, if the tweets were reported as improper, were they were was there follow through, and how often was there follow through? Because if one were to look at how often there was an offensive tweet, there really has to be an understanding of what was who was being offended and why and how, and those parameters have been well established, particularly in the conversations of what it means to be bullied, and when people say there are anti-bullying rules in cyber, then that has to have some follow-through, and that in itself was not even brought into consideration in depth, there was very little portion of the second impeachment that discussed cyber. But it focused more on the actual events of January 6th. And this is why when the commission begins to take place, to look at exactly why did what happened on January 6th 
happen. It will be, as people are saying, a 9-11 style commission, bipartisan in effort and existence, and will resolve in and of itself why things happened and how everything arrived at the moment upon which it did, where there was so much destruction at the Capitol. But they need to, and this has been seemingly discussed, recognize that upon the dissolving of the commission, that there should be an understanding that what is it going to bring as a positive solution? And I say that because with the 9-11 Commission, they did so resolve and develop out of that something that assisted the survivors in healing from that horrible moment. But what then is the further purpose after the commission's over of this particular commission? Is it just to create an understanding of what happened or is it to solidify beyond a document how in the future these occurrences will not occur? Back to mental health and mental awareness and mental wellness. Throughout the world, there have been days of mental health wellness held. Now, it isn't just focused on one particular country and one particular person or one particular program or one particular methodology. Truly, it has been a look at how people can care for their mental health. Their, ours, everyone's. And what that means is being able to survive the most difficult of challenges through difficulty. That's one. But two, there are traumas that occur. And how does one process those without letting it lead to something such as what happened on January 6th? Now, I'll be back to discuss a little further in just a moment why it becomes so relevant. In order to help you understand the relevance of why I was discussing mental health, mental wellness, and the final vote on the second impeachment and why so many people just want to put that behind. It isn't actually going to go away as a subject because particularly now with the commission that is being formed and proposed, there will be an in-depth study as to what happened and how did things happen and why did things occur on January 6th and the importance and relevance of that particular commission is to determine how something like that will not happen again. Now, it is intended to be a bipartisan commission, which if they follow their own guidelines and their own expectations, they will have resulted in a 
report that is beyond a document, beyond just a recommendation, that will truly have determined for the future what could be done to prevent such things from ever happening again. And so the relevance is that after 9-11, there was a commission of similar design, which had an outcome which determined what could be done for the future so that things did not occur again. We have not had such a plan since then to look at how to prevent such situations and circumstances which set with such negative repercussions. And so the intention of the individuals who have put this plan forward is to have the understanding of how did this happen and why did it happen and how can it not happen again? The best way for them to look at this with a full understanding of the circumstances is if they truly look at all of the methodologies that go into care of an individual. People didn't just show up to show up because they wanted to show up. There are full understandings of why people were there, but they should really go beyond the cyber technology knowledge of why they think people showed up. They really are going to have to understand and go into depth in regards to the mental health and mental wellness of the individuals. And that's going to be heavy learning, heavy understanding, because the subject matter responsibility is quite thorough. It doesn't just happen overnight that someone would need to learn or garner the kind of knowledge required to be able to understand what goes through the mind of an individual that suddenly decides that they want to participate in such activities. I'll give you an example. I mentioned in a previous segment that there are some conversations I can't talk in a lot of detail about because I can't, I no longer work in that responsibility. And though I went on to talk about the responsibilities I had when I cared for my mother, I can talk about that because that was my mother. And in essence, because I cared for her for the three years that I did, it was an important responsibility. But all the while, I also had other responsibilities during the intermittently during the time that I also cared for her that overlapped with that responsibility. And my interactions with people that had different levels of mental illness or mental uh, needs to be cared for were quite extensive. I was not, and I am not an expert, I'll say that again, but I truly had the type of exposure to individuals of all depths and ranges of needs. And I must say that as much as I learned as to what the best practices were and how to properly care for the individuals at the moment upon which they were in my responsibility, because it, it wouldn't be very for a very long, prolonged period of time, given the responsibility that I had. It was something that was an immense responsibility, but it truly went to the understanding of the dynamic of the brain. Because every individual had their own level of need for care. And as much as their brains changed day to day, 
I also needed to understand where, where they were at that particular moment. And knowing also who and what resources to access in making sure that they had the needed care if they needed care. And that's all I can say about that other than I can empathize with the elected officials, with the tremendous fright that goes through the mind at the particular moment when you have a really big responsibility, but then you also have your own self to worry about uh, your own safety. Because there are moments where sometimes because people don't have the capacity to make certain decisions for themselves, they do um, say things or conduct themselves in certain ways that only a person who can know the difference is going to distinguish between those differences and be able to say, you know, it's time for you to walk out of here, or it's time for you to leave, or recognizing the substantial burden of responsibility. And why do I say that? I, I was under certain stressors at my responsibility that I had, and people would make certain comments, some of which were true and accurate, and some of which were actually not accurate at all. Being able to distinguish between those comments, what was true and what was false, were also part of the flexible understanding and fluidity of what was going on with each particular individual, which made it an additional challenge, yet could also help the understanding of what each individual was going through at each particular moment. And as I said, recognizing that all people needed to have the appropriate resources. I know because of what the country is going through and the world with COVID, not all the resources are there for all the individuals. And if before the resources were scarce, even more so now, the difficulty is such that resources are always going to be complex without a full understanding of who exactly is receiving the services. Sometimes the services are actually primary for the caregivers and then there are other individuals who also have access to the services because they are also on the plan coverage. And so what ends up happening is an understanding needs to exist of who exactly is receiving the services. And is everyone who needs the services receiving them adequately? When I mentioned previously that with mental health there is a shortfall, because in some instances, because mental health is a long-term management for some, it could be short-term. As I mentioned with my mother having dementia, her particular diagnosis was life-ending. There was there is no there is no cure for Alzheimer's. But there are other dementias, such as vascular dementia, and some dementias where when people don't get enough sleep they don't have all of that catch-up time with their brain to allow their brain to rest and 
repair itself at night. And so the synapses are truly affected and impacted. And so there is rest that the body needs, which is really important. And a lot of people don't realize that. And so what ends up happening is some dementias do repair over time. And then the individuals, once they have received the rest that they needed, they return to some familiarity of who they were. They may not be the exact same person they were before because often they might go through so much in between. It depends how long it's been since they've slept. If it's been 10 years since they've had a good night's sleep, their dementia may not return. Uh, their, They may not have the dementia, but they may have a loss of certain kinds of synapse connections that will not be returned. And it could include such things as the individuals that are closest to them are going to notice that they just don't do certain things they used to do before. And it doesn't mean they're not the same person. It just means they certainly have changed. And their brain has changed. It has rewired a little bit. It has rewired to adapt to the circumstances. There is no doubt in my mind that because of the stressors of such things as COVID within the last two years, one could say it's just one year, but really it has been a year and a year and a half, if not two years, if one looks at what some of the people are reporting on their data now, there are some people that had been actually going through this much before um, the early reports. And so in particular, what we're gonna see with the long haulers, the long haulers are the individuals who seem to be holding on to COVID for a long amount of time is going to be a different kind of awareness of what it means to have the disease than someone who has it and survives it. And obviously, the trauma for families that have lost loved ones because of COVID is even different. But what a lot of people need to recognize is that there are certain changes that the body will go through, through every illness. And then as it recuperates, it does get better, but it, it doesn't necessarily come back 110%. Not in my experience anyway. And I've had my share of surgeries and excellent recoveries. And I think the reason that I mentioned why it was so difficult to understand how a sibling couldn't really allow themselves to continue to trust is that awareness that they're never going to be the same. They're never going to understand how much someone went through to be able to get them healthy again. And it's not healthy, like healthy the way the person that wants to define it that helped them. It's healthy according to the person themselves. And they may think they're healthy in the most severe of mental health or mental illness. They may think they don't have anything wrong with them and they might have multiple conditions, sometimes two, three, four, or five. But in their world, they have no 
acceptance of what kind of mental illness is going on. But there are some people who accept their mental health and want mental wellness and do various exercises, change their lifestyle, and some even take to talking about it. It's going to be interesting to see how the world changes as people adapt to the circumstances because we can't really have the same kind of HIPAA closure laws where people can't talk about each other's illnesses given so much social media attention and connection and interaction with things like COVID and so many people who have been affected by it and have since thereafter talked about their COVID experience. Because you can't undo that. You can't undo that the way that you can't undo every single person who's had to renew their driver's license and get their real ID and all of a sudden all of their medical history is on record. You can't undo that. That's out there. And the way that a lot of people think that such things now as transparency has to be available. Companies do their best to keep privacy, medical privacy protected, but it is so interesting the way there are so many back doors that people are making their way into to try to open those doors. And it's, it's a horrible thing because no matter how hard a person tries to keep that door closed in terms of their medical privacy, Another person has already tried to open it through some back door of an app, through some back door of a conversation, through some memory of a time when they visited a friend and they saw another friend and then that person told them what was happening. So there are so many ways that violations are happening in regards to medical privacy. And this is why the conversation got really bizarre with my sister because she started to say you can't take my picture you can't talk about what I've been through you can't take my picture and I thought to myself oh, this is my sister we're talking about imagine that I mean there are laws that protect movie stars from having their picture taken but what makes it such a situation that she wouldn't want her picture taken? Therein is a particular challenge. But it isn't so much the picture. It's that she doesn't want to exist in a specific light, only in the light that she creates for herself and for the people around her. And that didn't used to be her. It, it took me a long time to realize she wants... A lot of that not to exist. And it's difficult. And I'll tell you why it's difficult. When you used to be able to have a much different conversation with someone that was more fluid, where you trusted someone, where they trusted you, where you could actually ask for advice, and that doesn't exist anymore. That person is gone. That person is lost lost to an illness that they don't accept, lost to a situation which is beyond your reach, but you exist in it, and 
they are existent because they will always be your relative. And so the most interesting thing is the juxtaposition of two worlds. For some people, they don't want the world of their illness to exist at all, and so they pretend it doesn't. But it does exist for the very people who are around them, because they can't avoid it. They can't avoid it. They see it every day. They live it every day. I'll tell you one of the most difficult moments I had, and there were several. At one place that I worked were some of the threats. Some of the threats were not, I didn't take them seriously at first, but then as I began to understand the bigger picture and how everything was intertwined to one particular circumstance, it was actually important for me to take it pretty seriously and be the responsible person in the room. And I say this because not every individual can be taken for their word. One lady told me once that she had put a hit on me. I had no idea what that meant. It took me a little bit to think about it. But she was actually serious in her mind. Now, if she ever was truly serious in the broader sense of the situation, I really don't know. I really don't know. But her insults didn't stop. Her frustration didn't stop. And I also don't know exactly why she continued though I could understand and I have my my concerns, my theories, but it doesn't matter because I didn't I didn't push back to what I think a person who would not have been rational under those circumstances would have done. What I did do is tell the appropriate authorities and let them know what had been said. Because in those circumstances, the responsibilities that I held were tremendous. And it was not to be taken lightly. So as time went on, the individual would say things like, I know what you've done. I'm going to come after you. I'll get to you through your family. You know, it's just all sorts of things, and it just kept adding up, and it kept adding up. And I know what you've done, and so many interesting things that to me were interesting, but those small threats did not elevate to the level of what happened on January 6th. But I get it. I empathize with the leaders in D.C. and the fright that goes on in the mind at a particular moment because I have stood at a particular moment where someone did actually say, if you don't step back, I'm going to hit you. And I was like, huh. 
thinking, okay, I should probably step back, but then I really shouldn't because I need to hold my ground because I'm the responsible person here. And if I, if anything does happen, then I know what to do. Well, I didn't really step back and I didn't step back quick enough and I did get hit. And I did get hit by a person who didn't have full capacity of their mind. And so while you can't, and this is why I say, every situation is different depending on the person and where they are in their particular circumstance at that particular moment. And so you can't actually judge a person for what they've done, but I'll tell you what I, what I decided after that particular day. Did I file a report with the police? Yes, I did. Did I allow that person to come back to the office site? I did after a month. I spoke to the person's social worker and I got the understanding that they were getting help. So I said, the person can come back after a month. And they did, actually a little bit longer after a month, but that was up to them. And I share that because there are moments where it's a quick decision. Now, I could have hit him back, but I didn't. And I could have said, I'm going to press charges and I'm going to have him arrested and I want to file it in court and I have to go this. I made a police report. I put in the information that I needed to appropriately, but I understood that this person had some big challenges. So it went through the appropriate process. And those are key decisions. Some people, after I had discussed this with others, thought that perhaps I should have just let the individual be because he was having a bad day. Well, I didn't think so. I thought that it actually required some appropriate correction in the sense of the people that actually were looking after the individual to make sure that this individual continued to have the appropriate care. And those are decisions that people make that are difficult and that you continue to live with over and over and over, which not everyone will agree with some decisions. This is why going back to censure and whether it was appropriate for some people to get censured that voted in favor of impeachment, you're probably thinking, what does all this have to do with impeachment? Has everything to do with it because Many people have mental health challenges, but not every person that has a mental health challenge is going to act up or going to say that they're going to hit someone or actually put a hit on someone or are going to threaten them. There are other threats that I had that, that actually went a lot further that required uh, restraining orders. Uh, so those are the kind of things that go to the depth of what occurs sometimes, but it doesn't always occur. And this is why the commission that is being formed is relevant and it's important, but as long as it also keeps in mind, it needs to not look at this from a partisan standpoint of like, were these people Republican? Were they independent? Were they 
Democrat, it really needs to be looked at as the individuals. What exactly were they there for? What did they, what did they have to say and why were they there? Because it seems upon insurmountable that if they were to be asked, that they could perhaps actually say why they were there and what the details of the reason they were there would be. Why that's important is when people own up to the situation upon which where they have made a decision which leads them to be in a circumstance which is uncomfortable and at times irreprehensible, they truly do tell you exactly why they're not happy with you. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't want to hear the truth. It does actually mean that you want to ask the correct questions and you want to be able to be ready for what the truth is about to be because the truth is not always beautiful. The truth doesn't always end with a nice ribbon tied around it. The truth doesn't always end with everybody smiling and happy. The truth sometimes actually exposes a lot of pain that people have been living with. And this isn't always physical pain. A lot of this can often be emotional pain. And what I would suggest, and I believe that I'll be writing a letter to my representatives, I would suggest that they include practitioners in the field of mental health and mental wellness to incorporate an understanding that they really need to be able to have that depth and level of expertise. Not that every single person on that commission needs to, but there has to be at least one person who has that depth of understanding of The frustration didn't come out of nowhere. And yes, there are going to be other subject matter experts. Absolutely. There need to be. But that is one area that has not been discussed, and I think because it makes so many of us uncomfortable. Because a lot of us don't want to talk about why so-and-so has not been to work for a certain amount of time. Because... They can't talk about it. There are restrictions. If someone's on the leave of absence, they're, they're protected. So if they're protected, then how is anybody going to know how they can make a circumstance better, except for the people that are responsible for making sure the circumstances are better? But if there are only a couple of people who can do that, how does that then become rethought so that it can be a more sustainable, either a work environment or a home environment or a living environment? Not everyone lives in a home. What are the circumstances upon which people are feeling disastrously angry? There, are, there could be many, and not one person can be judged for one particular thought. It has to be looked at in the wholeness of what was happening. And so today, Wednesday, February 17th, I've given you 
a synopsis of why mental health and mental wellness is so important. It isn't just about an app that someone can go to and speak to someone. It isn't just about making sure that someone has a therapist to talk to. It isn't just about making sure there's a priest or a pastor or a rabbi available. It isn't just about making sure that a family member has an open ear. It really is about the big picture, about exactly what is going on. There have always been people who listen. And I gave you some examples right now. But sometimes there are circumstances beyond the people who can listen and what they are able to do. And there are ways that societies can come together to solve bigger solutions. And if that was simply an iceberg of what people are going through during these times, then that's why the commission is so relevant. And I'll be back in a moment with a little bit more. Cheney said this would that all of this goes to the doorstep of the president. None of it would have happened without him, and everything is due to his actions. This would not happen. That is the chair of the House Republican Conference who was the, the target of an effort to remove her, which was rejected uh, on a vote of by more than two to one in the House Republican Conference. And there was an attempt to remove her for voting for impeachment and becoming a leader for vindicating our constitutional values. So please don't mix up what Republicans and Democrats have done, I think, in every election for a long time to say there are improprieties going on in terms of conforming with state election laws with the idea of mobilizing uh, a mob insurrection against the government that got five people killed, 140 Capitol officers wounded, and threatened the actual peaceful succession of power and transfer of power in America. If we want to talk about reforming the Electoral College, uh, we can talk about reforming the Electoral College. You don't do it with violence. This sort of question to the desk for the former president's attorneys. Senator Kramer is for the uh, counsel for the former president. The clerk will read the question. Given the allegations of the House manager that President Trump has tolerated anti-Semitic rhetoric, has there been a more pro-Israel president than President Trump? It's apparent that nobody listened to what I said earlier today because the victorial speech needs to stop. We need to stop. There was
There's nothing fun here, Mr. Raskin. We aren't having fun here. This is about the most miserable experience I've had down here in Washington, D.C. There's nothing fun about it. And in Philadelphia, where I come from, when you get caught doctoring the evidence, your case is over. And that's what happened. They got caught doctoring the evidence, and this case should be over. Senator from Vermont, Senator Sanders has a question for both the uh, counsel for the former president and house manager. The um, clerk will read it, and following our procedure, the uh, house managers will go first. The house prosecutors have stated over and over again that President Trump was perpetrating a big lie when he repeatedly claimed that the election was stolen from him and that he actually won the election by a landslide. Are the prosecutors right when they claim that Trump was telling a big lie? Or in your judgment, did Trump actually win the election? Managers have up to two and a half minutes. As we all know, President Trump did lose the election by 7 million votes, 306 electoral votes. By the time of the January 6th attack, the courts, the Justice Department, all 50 states across the country had done, agreed that the votes were counted, the people had spoken, and it was time for the peaceful transfer of power as our Constitution and the rule of law demands. 61 courts, 61 courts the president went to. That's fine, appropriate. He lost, he lost. He lost the election, he lost the court case. As Leader McConnell recognized the day after the electors certified the votes, on December 14th, he said, quote, many millions of us had hoped that the presidential election would yield a different result. But our system of government has processes to determine who will be sworn in on January 20th. The Electoral College has spoken. Patriotism. Sometimes there is a reason to dispute an election. 
Sometimes the count is close. Sometimes we ask for a recount, go to courts. All of that's appropriate. I lost my first election. I stayed in bed for three days. We do what we need to do. And we move on. This was not that. Because when all of these people confirmed that Donald Trump had lost, when the courts, his, his Department of Justice, state officials, Congress, his vice president, were ready to commit to the peaceful transfer of power, the peaceful transfer of power, Donald Trump was not ready. And so we are all here because he was not ready. Day after day, he told his supporters false, outlandish claims of why this election was rigged. Now, let's be clear. President Trump had absolutely no support of these claims. That wasn't the point of what he was doing. He did it to make his supporters frustrated, to make them angry. Yeah. Time has expired. prosecutors have stated over and over again that President Trump was perpetrating a big lie when he repeatedly claimed that the election was stolen from him and that he actually won the election by a landslide. Are the prosecutors right when they claim that Trump was telling a big lie or in your judgment did Trump actually win the election? The uh, uh, counter for the former president have two and a half minutes. My judgment? Who asked that? My judgment's irrelevant in this proceeding. It absolutely they, uh, is. What's supposed to happen here is the article of impeachment is they, supposed uh, to they, be... They said it wrong. Be in order. Um, the uh, senators under the rules cannot challenge the uh, content of the response. The uh, council will continue. May I have the question read again, please? The House prosecutors have stated over and over again that President Trump was perpetrating a big lie when he repeatedly claimed that the election was stolen from him and that he actually won the election by a landslide. Are the prosecutors right when they claim that Trump was telling a big lie or in your judgment, did Trump actually win the election? In my judgment, it's irrelevant to the question before this body. What's relevant in this impeachment article is, were Mr. Trump's words insightful to the point of violence and riot? That's the charge. That's the question. And the answer is no. He did not have speech that was insightful to violence or riot. Now, what's important to understand here is the House managers have completely, from the beginning of this case to right now, done everything except answer that question. The question they brought before you. The question they want my client to be punished by. That's the questions that should be getting asked. And the answer is, he advocated for peaceful, patriotic,
protests. They're his words. You've, the House managers have shown zero, zero evidence that his words did anything else. Remember, all of the evidence is this was premeditated. The attack on the Capitol was pre-planned. It didn't have anything to do with Mr. Trump in any way. What he said on that day on January 6th at that ellipse. And that's the issue before this Senate. Now, on the issue of contesting elections and the results, the Democrats have a long, long history of just doing that. I hope everybody was able to see the video earlier today. Over and over again, it's been contested. When Mr. Trump was elected president, we were told council, that he was hijacked. Council was two and a half minutes and expired. What is clear and is notable from the previous portion that I included is the final phase of the second impeachment trial of President 45 is currently in the question and answer phase. The House managers have had an opportunity to present their side of the argument and the president's defense team has done the same, and now they're each answering questions with a certain amount of allotted time. And in the most recent response, the frustration that the lawyer was noting, he actually was referring to a video that was shown earlier in the day, that had taken snippets of elected officials saying the same word that they were saying the president is responsible for in his using that created the insightful actions, the actions that resulted in a great deal of destruction at the U.S. Capitol, as well as five people passing away. But what he didn't maintain accuracy is in is that he said there was no proof that the president had ever said any such thing either. Actually, they had presented, the house managers had, videos of the president giving speeches where he was encouraging people to attend rallies and he used a specific word which could be connotated with violence and that is therein one of the biggest arguments that the house managers were making within context is what often is noted the importance of which words need to be understood it has been grouping day after day to see the presentations as they have shown 
videos or portions of the presentation have included pictures of many of the people who were part of what they thought was an insurrection to take over the Capitol building and stop the certification of the Electoral College votes, which had already taken place. And that particular day, January 6th, 2021, was the day where the two sessions were to meet together to certify the votes. A tradition which has been long-standing within our democracy. The popular vote takes place and then the electoral college votes take place and then they are certified and then we have a president and shortly thereafter that person is inaugurated, sworn in to protect defend the Constitution of the United States. A tradition that has been uh, pivotal and key to maintaining democracy, yes, but also what is clearly the needed portion of uh, peaceful transition of power from one presidency to the next. And what he had done, which is what people are saying, and it was clearly understood by what some of the comments were of folks that were there on that day, to cause havoc and damage and destruction to the location that represents the majesty of our democracy. And what was clear is that they had wanted to make a destructive moves towards our democracy and impede the peaceful transition of power. Now, what the House managers have been speaking to is exactly that and presented evidence that the senators in the chamber will end up voting on whether or not that impeachment goes forward. This would, in essence, be the second impeachment of the president. And as I mentioned, peaceful transitions of power. Well, they were not successful, fortunately, in dismantling our democracy. No, they were not. The situation was quelled. Quelled by the many dedicated men and women who immediately and soon thereafter did what they could to make the capital secure again. And because they did that, on that very evening and night and through the night, the elected representatives resumed their duties and finished the certification of the Electoral College. What has been brought to light is more of the detail of what happened on that day. How detailed people were about what they wanted to do. In the questions that have been brought forth, there has been a question as to whether or not 
there is validity to some of these circumstances that are being brought forward or not. And so what you saw in the reaction of the defense lawyer was a clear frustration in the fact that one of the questions asked for his judgment and he lashed out at the question and though there was response from the chamber it was quickly stopped because according to procedure there cannot be a response to the to the person speaking on the floor that has the microphone and so the elected official had to stop speaking in reaction to what the other person was talking about. Now, I'm not going to go into any more detail other than to say that what many have been able to witness is much more detailed than what had been seen through the news on that day. And though as horrific as it was on the very day that it happened, it is clear over the last few days that much more was happening than could be encapsulated in the news reports that were coming out of the location where this was occurring. And as people have begun to submit their stories, talk about what happened on that day, it truly is giving a clear perspective as to what everybody was going through. Not only the individuals that were in the chambers that were breached, but also the people who worked on site and how it affected each and every one of them. And more so, also including the fact that, yes, people have been arrested and yes, people are still being sought for much of the damage and destruction that was done while they were there. And so while the vote may take place soon as to the question of whether or not there will be a second formal impeachment, because the House already voted to impeach, so now it's gone to the Senate for this very vote, which will happen in a little... matter of time. But what is understood clearly is that as a country, people do disagree. That is always going to happen. And that's acceptable to disagree agreeably. What is not acceptable is the egregious disregard for the very institution that actually holds up our fragile democracy. Because as powerful as democracy can be, it is quite fragile. And not that the point through all of these presentations is to show how fragile it truly is. More so, the point is They were not successful. Thankfully, they were not successful in what they were expecting to do. And what they have been uh, putting in their conversation, actually it's not a conversation, it is an argument of 
why they feel the article of impeachment is pertinent and why senators should vote for it. In this debate, they have put forth clear evidence and proof that over the years of his presidency, this president had been um, speech after speech and time over time making statements that led to this incitement. And the very people that were there on that day saying they were there because the president had invited them had a clear understanding that they had been asked to be there. Now, what the defense is saying is that every elected official has likely on any given speech made comments which may be similar to what the president said and that no one can truly be held accountable for what they say. Such as showing two cases where speech is protected. But what he failed to mention is that elected officials are listened to and heard by people and respected in a way that when they are said so, when they are saying something people believe it to be more true than if the person next door said it because they are policymakers they understand the nuances of how policies are made and that is a tremendous amount of power, but that's a tremendous amount of responsibility. And so the words that are said do need to be carefully chosen. But they also can't be taken out of context. And it was clear in one of the videos that the defense talked about being so relevant today. They had spliced the terminology over and over again to use one word. A minimum of 25 times, it was more than that, but I counted at least 25 times they used it in the video. But one of the elected officials went on an interview to say, yes, he used the word, but he had used it in the context of fighting for health care. And he may have used it in other occasions in the context of fighting for education, and so on and so forth, that sometimes things can be taken out of context. And so the difference between what the defense is saying about one word being used by everyone and how that can be easily misinterpreted and what the house managers are saying as to how lengthy speeches on the part of President Trump, President 45, had said over time his comments actually led to the events that occurred on January 6th because of specific changes and requests to gatherings and also in terms of what the speeches themselves have said. They were lengthier in verboseness and also specifically called out full sentences, the needing to fight to maintain the country and I'm not saying it exactly word for word as it is, but uh, you certainly can follow yourself on your app of choice and your news media channel of choice. But the point that I'm making is, if you somehow decide you don't want to know anything about what's going on with this particular topic, 
realize this. The other day, someone said to me, Oh, no, no, I, I, politics, I don't, I'm not involved in politics at all. And it's so true. Many people don't want to have any conversations regarding politics for one reason or another. And sometimes it has nothing to do with the leaders themselves. It has more to do with the, the subjects, which can be consternating at times. And people don't want to broach conversations that uh, can be uncomfortable. But the important thing is, and as we went on to have this conversation, I said, well, one way or another, a politics affects everyone, including you and I. And I explained, policies as they are passed and as they are approved for certain funding, whatever the policy may be, they affect everyone who is within the structure of the funding itself. So, people can choose to ignore what is right in front of them. However, they, one way or another, will be affected by the decisions made by the individuals that are elected to protect and defend the constitution of their respective states, or in the sense of the, in the, in the example of a president, the entire United States. And so why it's important is, a person can say, oh, that doesn't bother me. For example, if it's one particular subject. However, when the subject knocks on the door, it's not a person, it's maybe that funding is no longer available because funding had to be shifted to another cost center. Suddenly, the person is upset because that service that they were receiving is no longer there. But all the while, the signs were in front of them. And all the while, they could have participated, they could have asked questions, they could have shown up, they could have written a letter. Now, not everyone is going to participate in a democracy in the same way as someone else. And that is the unique beauty of a participatory democracy. However, what is certainly clear and different about what happened on January 6th is people truly had the desire to destroy and hurt people, hurt leaders of our democracy. Now, when it crosses to something of that nature, it truly takes on a different embodiment, and it's no longer a nonviolent appearance where someone is simply expressing how they feel or showing up at a location. Those are very different instances. But nonetheless, though, one needs to certainly consider themselves in the context of how different this circumstance was on January 6th and how disconcerting it can be. And in a moment, I'll explain why even more so beyond what they didn't truly talk about and haven't talked about and likely they will not talk about in this particular instance, because it doesn't have to do specific to the wording of the article of impeachment, but it's such an important subject that seems to be 
really in front of everyone. However, everyone seems to want to be disregarding it. So, take for a moment what I have said. Think about that. And we'll be back in a moment. And thank you for returning to the last segment of this episode, which is the in-depth look at the second impeachment of President 45. Now, I know many of you are thinking, why are we still thinking about this subject? Well, the truth of the situation is this subject will come up in conversation for a very long time in various different ways because of the very subject of why the president was impeached and the way in which it affected many parts of the country. But to the point specific of the previous segment, when I mentioned, I would give one last example of why the relevance of my uh, request to include truly the subject matter experts on mental health, mental wellness, for such things as looking into the incitement that led up to the events on January 6th. And as they began to look into what exactly led people to arrive on that day with the intentions that they had, why does it matter to look at the psychological thought processes, perhaps not of what many people would consider to overstep one's bounds in the sense that one would want to do a psychological evaluation in the sense that it would overstep the bounds of an investigation, but to understand the depth of understanding why would someone embark on such a situation to end up in a circumstance which would result in what the result was. Recognizing that there are many guidelines throughout the country in various different states that have protections specific to protecting people with specific mental health conditions. So, if they are going to be prosecuted in one specific area because of what they did in that specific area, it really should be understood in the broad sense of what the individuals have already gone through in their lives. And why is that important? When loved ones in some states, when loved ones go to visit family members that are being evaluated for psychological evaluation, I know that sounds redundant because I just said evaluated for psychological evaluation. But the point being that if someone is being held in a facility and only certain individuals are able to visit, in many instances, their loved ones or people who visit have to sign in and in signing in often are required to sign off on 
the requirement that they not speak of what they've seen within the facility itself, which is separate in and of itself, even in addition to, of the inability to speak of the conditions that their loved ones have. So these insurmountable responsibilities that are created for the family members who are already feeling a huge weight in trying to process what they are trying to help their loved ones with. Suddenly, they are taking on the burden of these third-party administration companies who are trying to help the patients but are pushing off the responsibility to some degree of non-disclosures to the people that visit. So what does that mean then? That leaves many family members and friends and people who visit with the responsibility of not being able to discuss what they saw within the facilities. Now they are not employees, which means they would not be subject to the standard non-disclosure agreements that an employee would sign. And they also aren't subject to some of the other disclosures or non-disclosures that are required even when contract employees come on board a company. So what does that mean for a family member? really does put a family member in a tough situation because in many instances, all they want to do is visit a family member. And what they walk away with is an added burden and responsibility. And for the patient, they are left with the sense that somebody did come to visit them, but they also may not know how to fully process that the person was there to help them. And so they may not want to talk about the fact that they were there, so they don't want people talking about that they went to visit them. And they also may not want to talk about the fact that they were there at all to anyone. So it's almost like it never happened, but it did happen. And if they didn't process it within themselves emotionally, or even physiologically, then there has not been a progression or a growth within the individual who is the patient in order for them to better their situation. And therein is a huge complex circumstance, which often isn't discussed because of these requirements given not only to the patient, because they feel that in many instances, they are not open to be able to have these conversations. But to the family members who suddenly find themselves unable to discuss certain circumstances because the uh, patients, the family members who were in these facilities often suddenly feel that they have protections against the family members and don't want family members talking about them, disclosing about them, and therein is this component that I was saying in one of the previous segments of distrust, where the person may have been quite trustworthy themselves, quite trusting, but then suddenly a change occurs, a lack of trust, 
a change of circumstance, which no one will ever understand except for that person. And no one would expect to. And so it isn't for one or for the other or for any. It is for every single person who's ever been through a circumstance unusual or similar. But what has to be understood is that sometimes these rules, these laws, which are made for sometimes good reasons, actually create a very constricting circumstances for a great many amount of people. And as a result, can, can create a level of complexity within society that had never been thought of or understood to even be possible. And it isn't even discussed, yet it is commonly shared by so many. And this is why I mentioned that it may well be that this investigative oversight committee commission, which will look into what happened, how did people arrive at the circumstance under which they were there at that particular moment, and how can that be preventable for the future? That it will be a quality group of individuals who are of bipartisan nature and truly altruistic for the appropriate purpose. However, if they do not remember to have subject matter experts who can look at the full facet and understanding inclusive of mental health awareness and expertise, then they will have missed a huge component of what will have been essential for this full commission to be truly bipartisan and impartial. And that is what I feel is essential. And thank you so much for listening to this, which was a more than unusually lengthy episode entitled The Impeachment of a President on the Digital Electronic World Point Report with Margarita. In a did-you-know moment, the 78th Golden Globes will take place on February 28th. Oh, that's true. This is going to be coast to coast and from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Or if you're on Eastern Standard Time, that's 11 when it ends and 8 o'clock when it begins on NBC. This year, 2021, the event will be hosted by Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. Returning for the fourth time after hosting in 2013, 2014, and 2015. You won't want to miss it. In addition, this year, the Golden Globes will honor Jane Fonda with 
the Cecil B. DeMille Award, and Norman Lear with the Carol Burnett Award. See you there.